You mean I didn't have to get killed for it? This is a man, and what a man. A man of violent contrasts. A man greater than ordinary men in his strength and in his love. Richard Harris, in a performance you will never forget. Welcome to Hartnell Worth Watching, where we're diving into the pre-Who work of the first Doctor, William Hartnell. Today, we're discussing the 1963 British drama This Sporting Life, the film that probably secured Doctor Who for Hartnell. I'm your host, and I just want you to know that I played a blinder in my last rugby match. <laughs> I had to look that up. I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either, but you can kind of guess from context. Yeah. It's- my co-host is Guy, who recently repaired his kitchen sink, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So this is a different film for us, and we kind of talked about it, right? Because, I mean, usually we're doing some sort of nerdy film of some sort. Either it's a, <laughs> you know, cheesy film or a science fiction film or whatever. But this is, you know, a straight-up serious film. It's an artsy-fartsy film. Yeah, which I thought was appropriate <laughs> because, as we talked about previously, you know, Hardnell considered him, himself a legitimate actor, right? Someone mm-hmm. who did serious stuff, and, and Doctor Who was kind of a digression from that, this this kid's show. And previously, we watched two Hartnell films, you know, Carry On Sergeant and... <laughs> never the mind Mouse That Roared. Yeah, exactly. What's that? Yeah, The Mouse That Roared. And these are both very silly films, and I thought it was just, you know, to be respectful of him that we should watch a serious film, but also it's very appropriate for the Doctor Who stuff because, as I mentioned in the intro, many people think this is the film that got him Doctor Who, right? This is the one that got Mm -hmm. him really noticed, and he was, I mean, literally this was a year before Doctor Who, so it really kind of put him into, you know, people's minds. Yeah, that 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 was suggested in that docudrama we watched right. recently, The Adventure in Space and Time, or mm. I don't remember the exact name. But time uh, and Space, Space and Time, one of those two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it turns out that we get really shortchanged in the Hartnell department. Well, but, I mean, he is in, like, I don't know, two-thirds of the film, a reasonable amount. I mean, you know. It didn't seem like that. I, I, you could be right. It it seemed to me that he got very few and far between uh, scenes. But uh, maybe maybe I was just maybe it was just the sheer number of other scenes that made me wish for more Hartnell. <laughs> <laughs> so this Sporting Life, nineteen sixty three. It's what's it's one of the very first of what's called a a British kitchen sink drama. So you know there was this trend in Britain that focused on people who normally didn't get movies made about them, right? You know, to, you know, the working class guy, right? You know, and very uh, Mm. uh, dramatic, like, here's how it is for regular people. And um, there's some pretty interesting stuff that was happening. And of course, you know, it has its own issues and everything. But this film was one of the early ones of that. And it is the breakout film for Richard Harris, who... I am a big fan of. Hmm. I mean, he did A Man Called Horse, which is a film that's on our list to cover at some point, which is way, it's basically Avatar, but 10 times better than Avatar, huh. right? 
he was in Gladiator, which we haven't really, we won't, at the point this goes out, we won't have released yet, but we have covered with my brother. He was the kind of elder Gladiator guy Hmm. in there. Probably at this point, best known is in Harry Potter, he was Dumbledore. Oh, okay. I can actually see. I was going to say I can. I couldn't picture even, well, I can picture his face from this movie having just watched it, uh, literally finished it 15 minutes ago <laughs> or so. You know, I've heard the name Richard Harris for years and years, but if if you showed me a, a, a rogues gallery and asked me to pick out Richard Harris, I probably couldn't. But I didn't realize he was Dumbledore, so yeah. maybe that it would give me well, a... And here's the thing for me with him playing Dumbledore is I thought he really nailed Dumbledore. And he actually, he didn't know anything about Harry Potter. He did it because his kids wanted him to do it, right? And he totally nailed the, like, you know, dotty, forgetful guy who is also brilliant, right? And then Mm -hmm. he died after, like, two of the films. Oh, yeah. And he was replaced by a guy who played him like a, a, a superhero or something. I mean, he was incredibly buff and he was running around doing this. And I'm like, this isn't Dumbledore. You know, the whole point <laughs> of Dumbledore is he's falling asleep and the, you know, and you think he's completely clueless and then he actually knows everything that's going on. Right. I mean, that's, that's the character and, and the guy who replaced him. I just, I wasn't happy with. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I watched those movies. I hadn't seen the movies until oh, probably within the last two years. Maybe I watched them. I hadn't seen them. I had heard that Dumbledore's actor switched at some point, but it didn't really register with me. So, uh, uh, again, I guess Richard Harris's face just somehow my mind resists <laughs> remembering it. Right. Well, so this film is, uh, I mean, rugby is the background of it. Although, so I am not a sports guy. So I'm rarely interested in sports films. But the best sports films are the ones that aren't really about sports, right? And That's the case here. I mean, this is technically a rugby film, and rugby is important to it, but it's really, it's, you know, it is not, it's not like, oh, we're following the team, and at the end, the team has to win the, you know, the uh, the big award. You you could shift it out with, uh, you know, various other sports without uh, losing a whole lot, you know. yeah. And, I mean, it, it really is a character film, uh, that whole kitchen sink idea, right? And so it's all about Richard Harris, who plays Frank Matchin. And he starts out, like, as a minor. You know, he's a very I – mean, th- and also, I think there's a difference here that's hard for us to understand, which is this is a British film, and in the U.K., class is extremely important, right? I mean, I've had people – that I hired who were British and they would say, you know, what's so weird when I come to America, you know, to, to the U S and, and interview for a job is you don't ask me who my parents were, or who my grandparents were, right? Like 
There's hmm. all these things that they would do in Britain to say, well, what class are you? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And in the U.S., we don't care. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm going to say, I think this is a great thing about the U.S. in general. We're like, what can you do for me? <laughs> right? Not- oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, part of the whole thing in this film that would be hard almost to understand in Britain is because this guy started as a minor and very lower class, um, the idea that, as we'll see, he becomes kind of a superstar is extremely unusual, right? You can't do that. And and sports would be probably like one of the only ways you could do it. Hmm. And But there's a weird structure to the film. I mean, it takes a little bit to understand what's going on, right? Because we see him in a rugby match, and then he gets hit, and he gets like his front teeth knocked out. And he's taken to a dentist, and it's really hard. You know, it's like late at night, and is there a dentist available, et cetera. But his, you know, the people running the team take him to a dentist. And then the entire actual film was a flashback before he gets his teeth knocked out. Well, not the entire film. It gets, I mean, the first part of the film is, but then then uh, in the end, he, he finally, well, he gets his, he gets his teeth knocked out. He, you have one set of flashbacks in the dentist's office, another set of flashbacks at the Christmas Eve party, and then he finally uh, shows off his missing teeth to the <laughs> landlady. But, yeah, it's very, uh, especially in the first, I don't know, half hour or so, it's very disorienting because, like I said, I have a, I, it was difficult for me to recognize Richard Harris's face and then to top that with this sequence of flashbacks coming in and out, and you know, it, it, it made it a little incoherent for me mm. at the start until I finally started to pick up on, oh, okay, the guy who was in that scene is also the guy who's in this scene, but in the future, and <laughs> <laughs> so finally got it straight, I think. But uh, it took me a while. One of the interesting things is that you know really this is a romance film right because what we see kind of yeah (laughs) yeah after he gets his teeth knocked out and we start seeing flashbacks is he is living in you know i think it's what used to be much more common than now right like there would be a woman running a house where people lived there right now they only show him living there no one else but it's like a boarding house, but yeah. he's the only boarder. Yeah, exactly. It's a boarding house. And the the woman running it, she has a couple of kids, and her husband died. And she is, you know, she is really damaged by all that, right? I mean, she she's not mm. interested yeah, in a relationship. She... She's not interested in any kind of socializing. She just wants to be left alone. Yeah, she's just a shut-in, more or less. Yeah. He's interested in her, you know, and she's not interested in him. And that's part of the whole thing as as we go through here. And, you know, and, and she is so connected to her, her husband who died that literally she keeps his boots next to the fireplace, and then she regularly, like, cleans his boots, right? <laughs> she's, yeah. She's not going to give up on her, her connection with him. Yeah. And then we have, I mean, in terms of the progress of Frank, he, again, is this poor guy as a minor, but he really wants to be a rugby player. And I know nothing about rugby. And, and 
this film, you don't need to know anything about it, right? They don't, there's nothing really about rugby in the film. I mean, it could be, you could just say it's football and it would, you know, yeah. nothing would change, right? Or, you know, soccer. Well, you or do see a guy kick a field goal in one That's scene. True. So That's I, true. I, I, uh, it may as well be football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he wants to be a rugby guy, but he's nobody, right? And so he meets out of nowhere. Guess who? William Hartnell. Right? Yeah. Who is kind of a, I mean, it's not 100% clear what his job is. He's sort of maybe a recruiter or something. They mention he's a scout at yeah. one, one place. So he's he keeps an eye out for the up-and-comers. So he meets Hartnell and he calls him dad, which is, con- and, and I think intentionally confusing at first because you think, oh, this must be his dad. Yeah, that was another thing that threw me off in the early minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and then eventually we learned, no, that's just a, you know, that's just an affectionate name that Frank is using for him. He's not his dad. He's just this guy that he met, right? And, and right. but he convinced, he's like, look, I really want to be a rugby player. You're a recruiter for rugby players. Why don't you get me a job? And Hartnell gets him a job. And, and the interesting thing, and, and, you know, Unfortunately, Hartnell's he kind of disappears in the last half of the film, but he he is in the first half or so a lot, mm-hmm. right? And he does play this very interesting, very different character from what we're used to, of course, in Doctor Who. Oh he's, yeah, he's a sort of needy guy, right? Like he's helped him. He's this recruiter, and he's he's helped Frank get a job, and then but I mean, he's so needy, like he will literally stand for hours outside of Frank's house or the house that he lives in until he shows up just so he can talk to him. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, there's, I could be wrong about this. Maybe I was seeing things where there was nothing to see, but I got the impression that he almost had some kind of crush on (laughs) Frank, whether it was erotic or simply just wanting attention or wanting companionship, wanting something, you know, but, but yeah, there was, uh, there's definitely, he's like, he's like a puppy dog following him around everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think it was erotic. I think it was just, yeah, he really wanted this connection. And in fact, uh, at one point, they refer some of the other people around Frank refer to Hartnell as a pet, right? Like, oh, bring your pet <laughs> along with us, right? So his desperateness along that lines is is clear. He also has this really weird accent, and there are many accents in Britain, and I don't understand them. And at first, I was thinking maybe he's kind of doing an Irish accent, but he wasn't. And I actually, I actually asked Chat GPT like, what is Hartnell's accent in this? And it was like. I can't find any reference <laughs> to me. So is it probably Northern England because the film takes place in Northern England, you know. Uh, so I have no idea because I don't know the regional accents in Britain. I will say that I like Hartnell a lot in this, but and and you know, this is obviously corrupted by having seen him in all the Doctor Who, but it just feels like oh, at sure. times that he is stretching the accent, like he's saying words where you're like, Yeah, that's not quite right. <laughs> It, it it could be, but I I didn't really I didn't feel that way because I don't know enough about all the accents to say one way or another. Right. Every time you think you've heard them all, some new one <laughs> pops up. Now, I was thinking in terms or, of characters, it's sort of like in Rocky, right? They had like the tr- the trainer who was the old guy in Rocky, and I I think Hartnell Burgess Meredith, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I think Hartnell's sort of playing a similar role here. 
so the interesting thing is, uh, so once Hardnoll gets Frank into, you know, being able to, to try out in a rugby game, <laughs> what Frank does that gets him noticed is whoever, I guess, kind of the, you know, quarterback or whatever it is. And again, I have no idea how rugby works, but kind of the, the main guy, right? So they all get into a huddle, like in a circle at the beginning mm-hmm. of a play. And what Frank does is he pulls people aside and works his way in so that he can kind of anonymously, because there's all these people huddled together in a circle, right? So no one can see who's mm-hmm. doing what. He punches the main guy. Uh, really seriously, right? Like really probably breaks his nose or something, right? Yeah. And the thing is that technically you can't tell who did it, right? Because there were all these people huddled in a circle. Right. I think that might be what they call a scrum. Yeah, sounds right. And so this guy's taken out of the game because he's now seriously hurt. And then Frank gets to take his place or something or whatever the deal is. But the deal, the, but the the important thing for the movie is that sort of the people, the the people who run these games, you know, and own these teams and everything, watching from the stands, they know that he did this. They they saw that he did this and that he got away with it. Yeah, and the team has two owners, and there's an older, more proper, dignified type of guy who's the one who actually calls it out, who spots it. But he disapproves because mm-hmm. it's not the old school sporting way to do things. Right. And, uh, you know, I, it now just now hits me, this sporting life. Well, sporting can also mean like, you know, being a good sport. Mm-hmm. And Frank is not <laughs> sporting in that sense. So uh, a little pun there that I didn't catch. Very nice. Yeah. But anyway, the other co-owner is the... Uh, He's he's has less ethical scruples. Yeah, about no, he's that like, no, we thing. want this guy. We want the guy who's gonna <laughs> go in and punch him. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, it's kind of funky because all of a sudden everybody's interested in Frank, and he really, you know, defies the odds. Right? He tells them, "I want a thousand pounds to join." Which again, this guy's nobody. He's a minor, right? I mean, he's he's nobody, and he's insisting that they pay him a thousand pounds to join the team. And of course, you know the the respectable guy you mentioned is like, no, we can't do this, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, and I think he I think he is already on like some local just casual volunteer, whatever it is, sports team. But right. but this is the city sports team that that yeah. you know the cities have their own teams that compete throughout Britain. Yeah, one of the things you kind of pick up in this is I think it's it's like high school football is in Texas, right? Where it is huge, right? It's extremely important to mm-hmm. everyone. And so the city, I think each city has their rugby team, right? And that city rugby team is extremely important. And that's where you get kind of, you know, well, the respectable guy is like, well, he's, you know, he cheated, he punched the guy. And then, you know, the somewhat less respectable co-owner is like, yeah, we want someone who's going to punch the guy because we want to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so he insists on a thousand pounds. And I looked that up. It'd be about $26,000 today. So it's not huge, but, you know, for yeah, someone that, in that position at that time, it's a, it's a lot of money. Not bad for a signing bonus anyway, yeah. And uh, it's funny because he's just like, I want a thousand pounds. I want a thousand pounds. And 
And eventually, like, okay, you know, I guess we have no choice. We'll give you the thousand pounds. <laughs> they bring him on. Now, the interesting thing is that, again, you know, if you think sports film, again, at this point, it'd be like, oh, you know, the team does this, the team does that. And at the end, the team needs to win the, you know, the whatever, the regional whatever it is. And that's mm. not this film at all, right? I mean, once mm. he gets on the team, this is a romance film. I mean, because he is interested in his landlord and she is extremely, you know, hard and uninterested in anything. She just wants to do her job and not screw around <laughs> all that. Yeah, she she is um she's really kind of lost a lot of whatever joy she took out of life, you know, since yeah. the death of her husband, he apparently meant the world to her. And we get a glimpse uh Later in the movie, she shows a photograph of when she worked at the bomb works in World War II, and we get a glimpse of what she might have been like. And there, we get a couple other glimpses, like when he takes the kids out to play and right. she's watching and enjoying it, you know. So we get we get occasional views of her of her warmth, but uh, but it's she overall there's not a great deal to endure endear her to the. To the viewer, you know, she's... And one of the things I like, I've mentioned this before about, you know, British TV and stuff, is, like, she's not, like, 20 years old, right? I mean, this is a mature 40-something woman who's had a lot of life, and the movie's not relying on her, you know, looks or, or whatever. I mean, you know, and, hmm. and I like that. I always like seeing kind of what I would consider to be real people. <laughs> hmm. And so, you know, Frank... Uh, I mean, he is, oh boy, he's such a jerk, right? Because <laughs> the thing is, he's successful in his, you know, career, and therefore he just feels like he can do whatever the hell he wants, right? He doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he is just such an asshole um, throughout the movie. And, you know, I mean, and then you have the... And he's kind of a violent hothead on top of all that. You know, yeah. he isn't always, but uh, but enough that it's surprising that he hasn't gotten into more trouble so far. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, he's kind of a cross at that point between Marlon Brando and Toshiro Mifune, who we saw in the, you know, the Kurosawa films. And Mifune, and I think the similarity between him and Mifune, right, is that kind of like they could explode at any time, right? There, there's mm -hmm. this constant. And one of the reasons I think, and I don't, I think that this one, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is one of those cases where they had no interest in him for this role. He was like the 10th, you know, person on the list or whatever. Mm -hmm. And having seen the film, it's hard to imagine anyone else because he's so on the edge all the time. In such an oh, yeah. amazing way, there are not that many actors who could who could do that, right? Where where at any moment they might punch you. <laughs> well, oh yeah, no, I this is as good a place as any probably for me to mention one thing that I to me it seemed like a questionable strategy. Um, they had him almost every scene you see him in. It seems like he's wearing eyeliner. Mm, that's uh, true, yeah. And and that seemed like an odd choice. I mean, I know in the twenties and thirties that was the thing to do, but 
in the 60s, he really he sticks out like a sore thumb. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't the style among rugby players in the 1960s. Uh, so, I don't, I'm not sure what they were going for with that. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, yeah, I think it was just a choice to make his eyes stand out or, or whatever. But you're right. It was If you noticed it, it kind of was distracting. And so basically the whole film is him, you know, trying to entice her, his landlord, Margaret, and, you know, and then, I mean, she does end up sleeping with him, but then she's kind of like, well, this is just sort of um, transactional, right? Like she refuses to have any emotion around it. And... But she's, you know, she's slowly starting to like him, right? She's slowly starting mm-hmm. to appreciate him. I mean, she needs a lot of time to trust someone after her husband dies. Yeah, she, she could be working towards it. And he, he asks her to say that she feels something for him. And she says something that, to the effect that she's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if he had the good judgment to leave it at that and, you know, just keep on keeping on then maybe that'd be one thing but he doesn't have that judgment <laughs> now something i feel like this is where i criticize the movie. overall i really like this movie you know i i think that mm. um i mean if you tell me oh here's a movie that's socially responsible and you know about the lower class and all whatever I'm like, oh god I, you know let me watch star <laughs> wars right um but i really liked this movie but i <laughs> The ending bothered me, right? Because it kind of went, to my mind, it went off the tracks. Where uh, two-thirds of this movie, so basically you have Frank, you know, you have William Hartnell trying to help him out and then being a pet and then being kind of rejected, and you know, and, and that's actually really tragic, right? I mean, he, you know, he Hartnell really made this guy's career and, and he doesn't get a lot out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. If, uh, the the more the movie goes on, uh, up to the point where Hartnell vanishes, we see Frank increasingly just blows him off. You know, the most he'll do is say, uh, "Yeah." If he if he sees him there, he'll say, "Hi, Dad," and then just sort of walk on by. It's really unfortunate that we don't have some kind of resolution to his. We character. do get a tiny hint when when he moves in to that other flop house uh, towards the end um and the guy mentions though the owner mentions that johnson had lived there or, or frank asks about it didn't johnson live here um and and the owner says he went a long time ago and i i think by went that means he he moved off this mortal coil mm. but uh um that's really the only clue we get about him after he makes his final appearance right and then, I mean, here's my criticism of the movie, right? Because the last portion just feels, it feels like, oh, the writer doing this writerly thing, right? Because <laughs> what happens is that Margaret, the landlord, she suddenly gets very ill and she's in the hospital and you know, and I thought she was getting morning sickness at first, but uh, that be more interesting. And so then she's dying, and Frank's visiting her, and you know, she dies, and he's you know, and he's devastated. And then he goes back to playing rugby, you know, and we just see him being you know, but it, it's it just it was like this 
it none of this was organic, right? It was just like, oh, now mm. she's ill, and now she's in the hospital, and now this, and it was just yeah, very, it, very. It, yeah. it pretty much comes out of nowhere. Although <clears throat> the doctor does mention she had a brain hemorrhage, mm. and we know of at least two occasions in the movie where the guy hit her, and mm. he's a strong rugby player. So. Yeah. Is there a connection there? We don't know, but yeah. it's certainly uh, not out of the question. And then there's, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a bit heavy-handed. Right when she dies, you know, they throw in this giant semi-tarantula-sized spider <laughs> on the wall. I mean, it's not as big as a tarantula, but it's it's pretty hefty, chunky lad, you know. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't, you know, it seemed... I don't know. It, it, yeah, it they seemed... come back to this shot multiple times, and it's supposed to be significant and all that. Yeah, yeah. And now I want to say because even though you know I'm I'm saying I really don't like the end of the film, and I feel like it was not well handled, and it was sort of very sudden and out of nowhere, like oh now she's in the hospital, now this and that, you know. But other things, I mean. My God, the sound design! Did you notice, like, when they're doing the rugby and everything, and people are hitting each other, and it's just like. The directing also, I mean, this is 63, the cameras were huge, and they're doing these moving shots, and, you know, it's like they had um, the, what do we call it now, when you have the cameras that don't move when you move around? Um, Steadicam? Yeah, you know, it was like they had Steadicam. I mean, they did amazing shots of the, the people in the rugby matches, and then the sounds of them colliding with each other and everything. I thought that was all... Mm -hmm. Really well done. So, I mean, the film on a production level. Yeah. It's it's generally a, generally a pretty good-looking movie. I mean, it's not really the sort of stuff I want to look at for the most part. But uh, You don't like watching yeah, people smash into each other? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just the whole, uh, you know, drab, depressed. Uh, you know, and that's one thing about about British pop culture, especially like in the later 20th century onwards, that's uh, not so appealing to me because maybe it's just because I'm brought up American, but I always like the, uh, you know, the the more upbeat and cheerful <laughs> things. And, you know, even Deadwood, which is probably my favorite TV show, even that has a lot of humor to enliven it. You know? Now, in their defense, they did do Red Dwarf, which is a really funny series that I would love to, you know, cover in some ways. You know, that's one I haven't checked oh. out, and I, I'm surprised because I, I like, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. oh books, my gosh, and so I like the uh, Black Adder shows. You know, we so. have to do something with that because yeah, Red Dwarf is really funny. You know, it's it's up there with Black Adder. Yeah, well, that would uh, be worth checking yeah. out. I'd I'd be game for that. <laughs> okay. But we still, I mean, even though he is a part, a big part of the show, we didn't talk much about Hart. I mean, what do you think about him? I mean, he's doing an accent. He's doing a very different character. He's, although he does have that kind of age thing, right? Because literally this is a year before mm -hmm. Doctor Who. One thing I will say is, again, I just, I feel like, you know, he had um, arterial sclerosis. And I feel like it, he went downhill pretty quickly because you look at him in this and he doesn't have all the scenes. He doesn't have all the lines, but he is so much sharper than we, you know, a lot of what we saw in Dr. Who. And I think that, I think his disease was, you know, going pretty quickly. Uh, it could be. And, and in this one, uh, they, they really 
did their best to play him up as this sort of meek, mild, kind guy who just has a passion for watching rugby games, you know. Um, they give him these little wire rim uh, <laughs> spectacles, yeah. and, you know, they really play up the uh, uh, kind, grandfatherly aspect of him, which is probably probably what appealed to Verity Lambert. Mm-hmm. Was that a name, Lambert? Yep. Um, okay. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the same Hartnell we know from the shows, but playing an entirely different role. And, of course, there's no room for him to do any of his uh, <laughs> Billy flubs because uh, because it's a movie, so they just uh, do it till they get it right. And, but, yeah, yeah, you could be right. He may look a little more, uh, little more lively in this uh, than we see him throughout Doctor Who. But I... That wouldn't say a whole lot. I mm. mean, even even towards the end of Doctor Who, I didn't I didn't think he looked really sickly. He looked maybe prematurely aged, mm-hmm. uh, but but I I didn't get a general impression of sickliness from him from Doctor Who. Mm. I mean, he's he seemed like he'd uh, still had a lot of piss and vinegar. You know? <laughs> that might be my prejudice because I. Uh, I developed, I, I guess I developed an affection for Hartnell the way the way Hartnell's character did for Frank Machen in this show. <laughs> so you're going to stand outside Hartnell's uh, apartment for hours. You know, for <laughs> yeah. Well, so then we get to our big question here, right? As an early uh, kitchen sink, you know, realistic, uh, you know, social film. Is this worth watching for a modern audience? <laughs> oh, that's a question. For me, I don't regret watching it, but I, I didn't get a great deal of enjoyment out of it. There were individual things I enjoyed in it. And and I read a few things about the movie on the internet that said one of the greatest British mm-hmm. films of all time and so forth. And, uh, you know, for a certain audience, it might well be, but this just really, it's just not my cup of tea. So <laughs> if you like generally depressing movie that has some decent acting in it, um, not a whole lot of levity to, uh, <laughs> you know, leaven it. If you can put up with a sort of not quite relentlessly grim movie, but, uh, I mean, I've seen much grimmer, believe me. <laughs> but it's just not, you know, for, for me, it's not great. For some, it may be, uh, <laughs> but, but for me, it, it, it didn't really strike a big chord in me. Although there's a great deal of technical stuff mm-hmm. that I appreciate about it, you know, the cinematography acting and so forth. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a waste of my time, but it's probably not one that I'll, feel compelled to watch again anytime soon. You're not going to drag anyone to the couch. Well, exactly. I'm I'm more positive than you because I'm more into the history of things like the kitchen sink stuff and everything. And, and, you know, and also I'm such a fan of Richard Harris that seeing, I think, a really compelling introduction of him is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting to see Hartnell playing a very different character than we're used to. So, so I'm more positive than you are, but, uh, oh, sure. you know, 
you know, I'm not going to call it. I'm. I would I drag someone to the couch? No, but but you know, <laughs> would I explain to them the importance of this film and the history of British film? I I might do that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's that's perfectly fair. It's I think it was Max Beerbohm. He had a quote once that was uh. For those who like this sort of thing, it is the sort of thing they like. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I mean, next up, first of all, we're going to have probably some host choices and and brother's choice and other stuff. You know, we're probably going to have a little Mm -hmm. bit of a break before we get into our next series. But then we will get to the new doctor and we'll... You know, watch a TV episode. We'll start out with a TV episode with the new doctor, and and then we will, you know, go from there. Uh, Uh, He's got big shoes to fill. I'm sure. Well, yeah, I'll be curious to see if you can ever warm up to Patrick Trouton. We'll see how it goes. Um, Okay, well, we will see everyone next week. All right. You mean I didn't have to get killed for it? This is a man, and what a man. A man of violent contrasts. A man greater than ordinary men in his strength and in his love. Richard Harris, in a performance you will never forget. Richard Harris as Frank Major. He was an idol to the crowd. Women admired him for a strength and pride they could not fully understand. To some, he seemed a brute, a man of frightening sudden violence. Yet children understood his tenderness. He enjoyed wealth and flattery. No need to feel awkward. He loved a good time, and yet he turned his back on it for a ruthless, overwhelming love. Me, but I won't let you go. I'm the one thing you can't have like everything else. I want you. I want you to go. I need you. I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to go. Rachel Roberts as Margaret Hammond. Savagely embittered by life, she returned his love with a burning, passionate hate. They all laugh at you. They all point you out. Don't you know that? Trying to be different. And they point me out too, Andy and Linda. We're not proper people now because of you. No other film has ever brought life to the screen with such brutal honesty. This sporting life brings you face to face with people. It compels you to love, it forces you to hate. It takes you to the very center of a man's passion and a woman's heart.